call it progress, and we must conform, or we will be left by the change. This new world religion serves the God of their choice, but salvation still comes in one name. That name is Jesus, the late rose of Sharon, spotless and pure Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, promise Emmanuel, God's Son. Jesus, my Lord and Creator, who witnessed and conquered the grave. Jesus, this world's only Savior. Jesus, what a wonderful name. All the great leaders who sleep in their graves one day will bow and proclaim. He's Lord of all glory, the crown king of kings. That name is Jesus, the sweet rose of Sharon, the spotless and pure Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God's Son. Jesus, the Lord and Creator, who witnessed and conquered the grave. Jesus, this world's only Savior. Jesus, what a wonderful name. That name is Jesus, the Lyos of Sharon, the spotless and pure Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the promised Emmanuel, God's Son. Jesus, my Lord and Creator, who witnessed and conquered the grave. Jesus, this world's only Savior. Jesus, what a wonderful name. Jesus, this world's only Savior. Jesus, what a wonderful name. Thank you to the Connellys for being here and to singing for us. And uh, how long are y'all going to be here? Leave tomorrow. Leave tomorrow. All right. Uh, James chapter 1. We want to look at James chapter 1. And uh, let me get this turned on. James chapter 1. We just saw it as a servant of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He goes on and, and walks through this. We see in verse 5, it says, if, if any lack wisdom, let him ask of God, the given all men liberally and upbraideth not. And that's a very important verse and a very important promise. And it's something that it honestly, uh, uh, one of the verses, it ought to be memorized and be part of our life because it says he giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. And then he comes all the way down to verse 8. Not going to read it all. We just read it. But it says, a double-minded man is unstable 
in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What I'm going to do today is very similar to a, a class that I just did for uh, Tri-State College over there. Um, but as I, as I did it, I, I, I kept, um, well, the Lord just kept moving to my heart that this was the direction I ought to go for uh, our people, for our church. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer and I'll get started. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, I ask you, please. Spirit of God, guide my mind, my thoughts. Lord, I, I pray that you'd please just to direct me. Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself today. Dear Lord, there's been a lot going on here recently. But Lord, I, I need to put aside everything else. Everything else except your word. Everything else except your will. So Spirit of God, I ask you to, to cleanse me from every other thought, every other uh, intention. Lord, I pray that you'd please right now that you'd just give me clarity of mind and Spirit of God that you would Fill me from the top of my head, sole of my feet, and Holy Spirit, please guide my mind, my thoughts. I yield myself to Thee. I ask You to build a mighty hedge of protection around this church today. God, that You would keep away the evil one, and that, Lord, that You would uh, keep hearts tender toward the Word of God, please. In Jesus' name, amen. As I began reading and studying this as I was preparing for a lesson, I, the thought came to my mind, what leads to double-mindedness? Double-mindedness occurs in all of us at times, but some people live in that state of double-mindedness. And faith is the antithesis of double-mindedness. Faith leads to patience, endurance from our passage. God says that faith is what's going to lead us to patience endurance. That's what we, we have to do. Tribulation worketh patience, the Bible says, and, and, and this faith is going to lead us to this patient endurance. It, what the definition in reality is cheerful endurance, that definition of the word patience. Faith leads us to this cheerful endurance of the trials of life. And you know, all of us go through trials. Some are going through trials right now, and if we're not, we're going to go through it before the day's over or before tomorrow. I mean, they're just, they're coming. They come in waves, and they just keep coming, the trials of life. God allows us to see two lives here in this passage of Scripture. Uh, he allows us to see the, the life of faith and the life of double-mindedness. And there's two results to those two lives. God says in verse 6, but let him Ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven uh, with the wind and tossed. And, that, and if you've been to the, to the ocean or even you've been in a storm at a, at a large lake, the, the way the waves and the way the wind drives and the way the water comes and it's just, it's erratic and it's just tumultuous and, and churning and it's out of control and, and it's scary. You don't want to get near it. And, and sadly, that's what happens a lot of times when, when we get around people who are double-minded. It, it's tumultuous. It just, it, it just it, it churns at, at you, and you, it's scary to even get around it. You think, okay, who are they, where are they going? It's even worse when it's us. When we're double-minded and we're struggling as to who we really are, where we're going, 
When we ask God, it should be in faith. Anything we talk to God about, we ought to be in, it ought to be in faith. Because we ought to realize who we're talking to, amen? amen. Who are we talking to? We're talking to Almighty God. And, and Almighty God, we re- saw in Sunday school class, He promises He cannot lie. And if He can't lie, everything He says is true, and everything that He promises will come true. And, and, and God says, Uh, that we must ask in faith, believing in Almighty God. But often we ask and our request is saturated with so much doubt that we're simply praying in despair and hopelessness. Boy, you are quiet today. Is it just me or is it everybody else? It's you. It's you. No, it's just dead silence in here. My goodness. Usually I got some grunting or some moaning or yawning at least or something. Man, I just, I stopped and it was just like, but we ask in faith and and honestly, we do struggle. Humanity, being human, we struggle with this thing called faith. We struggle to just be consistent in faith. But I'm going to give you just a few points, some things that that affect us or, or things that happen when we, when we struggle with faith or why we struggle with faith. Number one is this, hopeless prayers can actually cause us to be angry, frustrated, discouraged, and depressed. When we pray, and we, and we may pray every day, we may pray religiously, but if we're praying and our prayers are daily saturated with hopelessness, what that's going to lead you to is anger. It's going to lead you to frustration. It's going to lead you to discouragement and depression. Here's the reason. Because if it's not a faith, it's sin. And if we don't ask in faith, it, folks, it, then, then be honest with you. He said, God just said, you think you're going to ask anything and it's going to be answered? We'll, we'll go back to it again the way God said it. He said, if any of you like, I'm sorry, uh, knowing this, the trying of your faith, work with patience, but let patience have a perfect work. Um, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting none. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. So you got this incredible promise, but then he says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, with a, a sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. That's terrible. Man, spending hours and hours and days and days and weeks and months in prayer. And it says, let not that man think he's received anything of the Lord. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? But God says you don't have to pray that way. You don't have to come to him that way. You don't have to come to him in despair and hopelessness. You can come to him and you can come to him in faith because, folks, one more time, his word is true. What, what happens to us? Why would we have these hopeless prayers? Here, number one, you can just, if you struggle with your authority in your home, or if you felt that you were not valued by the authority, you may also struggling, struggle believing God values you. That's why a lot of people struggle. They come from a background where they struggle believing they were valued from where they came from. Do you know why it's so important that we love each other in here, even if you're not going to at least breathe for me today? (laughs) Do you know why it's so important that we care about each other here? 
Because a lot of people that walk in this door where they came from, they've they've spent most of their life feeling unworthy. They've spent a lot of their life feeling like they're not valued by anybody. They feel like nobody truly cares about them. And can I tell you, that's just... That is such a catalyst to this thing of faithlessness. If you struggle with your authority in your home, or if you have felt that you are not valued by your authority, you may also struggle believing that God values you and wants to hear from you. And when we struggle with feeling that other people value us, we struggle believing God values us especially if it was our authority. Number two, if you have made requests but never have experienced an answer, you may believe that God does not truly hear you. And and I've said this in so many times, so many ways, but I'm going to say it again, folks. We've got to start recognizing answers to prayer. One of the reasons we feel like God doesn't want to answer us is because he never has. But watch this. He has. He has answered you. God wants to answer your prayer more than you want it answered. And he has. But we got to recognize it when he does. Folks, did you eat this morning? You say, well, I didn't pray about it. Look, God knows your need before you think or ask for it. And he supplied it for you. Did you wake up this morning? No. A whole lot of you apparently didn't today. That's all right. I'm not sure I did either. But listen, you've got to understand that, that God wants to answer your prayer, and the truth is, he has. It's, it's an illustration you're going to hear a thousand times if I, if I live long enough. But I, I struggle with this big time, believing God would answer me. I really did. I just... You know, why would God answer me? I mean, I, I, never, I, I never was good enough in anything. No matter how good I did in anything that I did, it never was good enough. And that was in my own mind. I just never was good enough. I couldn't, I couldn't play good enough. I couldn't do anything good enough. And, and that's, it's, it, it makes you better. I mean, actually, you excel out there in the world because you're never satisfied with what you're doing, so you just go harder. But the problem is when you go to God with that, there's a little bit of a struggle. You think, well, I'm sure I didn't pray good enough. I'm pray- I sure I didn't pray long enough. I'm sure I didn't say the right words. And so, I, you know, I battled with it. And one day, I was at Bible college, and, and, uh, and we had, I, honestly, I was making $4.70 an hour. I didn't have a dime in my pocket, and I'd been that way for days. I, I went there. When I arrived there, I weighed 198 pounds. I was lifting weights and in good condition, and before the first semester was over, I was down to 176. And you have to understand, 176, my bones weigh 175, Okay. And so, I, I mean, I was walking around there starving to death, and it, my wife would always say, Rob, you got to eat, you got to eat. And I'd say, no, save it for the kids, save it for the kids, save it for the kids. And she wasn't saving much. It was oatmeal or peanut butter or whatever. And so it was just, we just had nothing. I was walking down the hallway one day, and I literally, in my heart, in my mind, I didn't say it out loud, I said, God, if I could just have a cup of coffee, which some of you are saying right now, 
And I said, if I could just have a cup of coffee. I didn't even say it out loud, but I know I said it in my heart. And I walked about 10 more steps. A guy stepped out of a room and he said, hey, buddy, how about I buy you a cup of coffee? I don't know who he was. I didn't care who he was. I got a cup of coffee. You say, man, did you recognize that as an answered prayer? No, I recognize it as a cup of coffee. Because that's what I wanted. Can I tell you, that must have happened a half a dozen times before I finally went, God's answering my prayer. And look, I can't tell you that, that I, you know, I prayed for a car and somebody gave me one. That's what I used to hear when I was a Bible college student. You know, all the illustration was, well, God answer your prayer. I prayed for a Cadillac. Went into the showroom floor, put my hand on it and said, God, this is the one you want me to have. And the, the, the man walked up and said, sir, I feel like God wants me to give that to you. That ain't ever happened to me. Okay. I never even got a bicycle. Okay. But God has answered prayers. And one of the reasons we don't think he will is because we hadn't recognized the ones he already did. Now, next is when we pray with our, uh, with our answer as the only possible acceptable answer. Now, please get that. When we pray and our answer is the only possible acceptable answer. In other words, we feel rejected by God when he does not choose to answer the way we want it answered. Are you all hearing me? This is a big problem because we'll get discouraged about God here because he didn't answer it the way we expected it to be answered. And so that answer is not the right answer, so God didn't answer. No, he did too. And you know what? He knows more than you do, and he knows that sometimes he needs to say no to that because that's best for you. There's many times where God just, I prayed and prayed and prayed. We, uh, we got to North Carolina, and, and, I, and there was a, uh, finally we gone through about three or four uh, you know, dozen houses, but finally I made the offer about three of them. Finally got this one. It looked like the perfect thing. It looked like, but I'm over in Africa uh, when, when they finally are going to accept my offer. And so uh, they called me in Africa and I called back and I, I hadn't even gone in the place. I just seen it and, and Joe Beth had seen it. And I said, okay, we're going to make the offer. They came and agreed to my offer. And, and, I, and the whole time I'm praying, Lord, am I doing right here? I haven't even seen the place. But Lord, it seems like it's right, and you gave us the right price for it, and they accepted our offer, and we can do this. And, and, and look, I, I just kept praying, Lord, the whole time I'm in Africa, God, if, that's, if it's what I'm supposed to do, then great. You seem like you're working it all out, but if it's not, shut the door on us. And, and listen to me. We got back. It was a beautiful house. It was, everything was wonderful. Everything was great. It would have been perfect, except God didn't want it. He shut the door. And you know what? That's good. Now, it was disappointing that we didn't get a house. It was disappointing that we we're going to live a lot while longer in a motorhome. It was disappointing that why would God not want us to have this house? But that, he's answered it multiple times since then. I mean, what he led us to do and what enabled our children to do because we were able to buy their home so they could get a bigger home. And boy, do they need it, seven kids. Now, 
Next, if you had a crisis that you needed God, the next point, if you had a crisis that you needed God desperately to answer, a great need, but you feel he did not. Now, we're not talking about God, your supply. We're talking about, okay, God, maybe heal somebody. Maybe change the situation. God, please don't let this happen. And he still didn't do it. So we, we will start to believe he didn't hear me. No, God still knows what's best. You just got to believe he knows what's best, and he is answering if you believe. Number next, if we have developed a ritual rather than a relationship in prayer. And please get this, because we, we can do this. We can get into a ritual of prayer rather than a relationship. And you may be habitual and, and, and ritualistic in it. I mean, every day, exact time of day, every day for the exact length of time, every day, every day, go through this list of 9,000 people. And you may do all of that every day religiously. But a ritual doesn't reach God. A relationship does. And we need to have a relationship. Boy, okay, just everybody say amen all at once. I've never seen y'all like this. What happened here? Okay, Conleys, what'd y'all do? All right. Now, these thought processes and others like them lead to feelings of despair and hopelessness, feelings of unworthiness with God. These feelings will compound as our doubt uh, when in crisis, our doubt increases during crisis. And, and, and so God has given us a plan, and that's what I want to do. I want you to look at uh, this formula, this remedy that we're going to see in uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, wanting, uh, work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. God says, count it all joy. And this is something I, I taught here, I think, in Sunday school, school class, this little portion here, but, but it won't hurt us to go over it again. A lot of people have not heard it, but... God says to count it all joy. And that word count means to rule over. And I'm not going to take the time that I normally do on this because time's short. But God, that word count means to, it's one of the definitions anyway. One of the definitions of the word count is to rule over. And God says to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Notice what it's saying. Diverse temptations means many, many testings. And, and why does God say that? Because we're going to go through many testings. And why does God say when you fall? Because it's not if you fall, it's when you fall. Okay, because everybody's going to hit temptations. Everybody in here right now goes through trials. Everybody faces trials. Now, God says when it comes, and I'm just making it as direct as I can, when it comes, we got two choices. We either rule over the trial or the trial will rule over us. And we've got to understand that with God, we can rule over it. 
And that's where he's saying, trust me in the trial. Have faith in me in the trial. And folks, you say, why are we doing this? I, I don't know, but maybe, maybe it's because of where our nation's going. Maybe it's because of what I see the future. I mean, we got, we got Russia that I you know, just read this, this morning. You know, are we on the brink of war with Russia? And maybe we are. I don't know. Uh, you know, we don't get enough information to really know where we are on that. But, but they're not scared of us, that's for sure. And so we're maybe on the brink of war with Russia. Maybe we're on the uh, brink of, of, of our doors being barred as Christians because that's the movement in our nation, anti-Christian uh, movement in our nation. I don't know where we're going, but I can tell you this. God has not died. God's still alive no matter what comes. And that means I can rule over the trial. It doesn't rule over me. Now, how can I rule over it if I'm, watch this now, how can I rule over it if I'm conquered by it already? And that's where some may, be, may feel right now, wait a minute, I can't rule over it because I'm already under it. I can't rule over it because it's already got me. Listen to me, uh, uh, number one, repray, we've got to reprogram our minds. We've got to reprogram our minds. Here's what we need. Number one, understands, and I've said this several times, but understand cr- trials come to everyone. So help me, how many people have trials? Everyone. Everybody. Understand trials come to everyone. Do we understand that? They come to everyone. So don't feel like God's slamming you. Get that out of your head. That's demonic. Oh, God's against me. Well, then he's against everybody because everybody goes through trials. Can you all hear me? I get intense. Can you hear me, Linda? I'm just talking the way you talk to Jeff. So anyway. (laughs) All right. Understand trials come to... I'll be my... I'll, I'll calm down. Understand trials come to everyone, not just to you. Are you some kind of special person? Don't answer that. I, you just don't understand the trials I go through. <laughs> you idiot. Okay. God bless you. We all go through trials. We get hit every day. You say, well, it sure doesn't look like it to some people. It's because of how they deal with them. Now, we all go, we understand trials come to everyone, not just to you, not to those whom God is disappointed with, but to everyone. And here's what the devil lied to us. He'll, he'll, he'll tell us, man, uh, you know, you're going through this because God's all upset at you. Well, then why is the other person going through it? Well, they're not. Well, they will be tomorrow. You know? you don't live with them. You're not with them. You don't see what they're going through. You don't see the the trials that that other families go through. You really don't. So you can get to thinking, well, man, it's going good for everybody else. Well, go talk to them for a little while. 
Now, they may act like everything's going good, but if you could get them to be real honest, which you really don't need to because then you'll both be depressed. <laughs> but if you got them to be real honest, they would tell you all the things that they're having to battle and go through and the discouraging things. Look, the whole difference is how do you deal with it? Look, you say, where do you get this sermon? I get it from my wife, and she's, she's always telling me, Rob, be positive. Isn't that right, Joe? Be positive, Rob. So I always tell her, I am. I'm positive it ain't going to work. So, <laughs> so, now, understand that God is not man and therefore will not respond as a man with the weaknesses of man. We've got to re reprogram our thinking. God is not man, so he's not going to respond like a man will respond. He's not going to respond with the weaknesses of man. Because here's, again, what we'll do. We'll think, well, you know, man, if I did that to somebody, this, you know, or if somebody did that to me, this is what I'd do. Well, you're not God, and God's not you. God responds differently. Number three, I challenge you to do this. Memorize 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if you're going through a trial and a struggle, if you can't do anything else, then just spend about an hour quoting that verse to God. Now, he already knows it, but go ahead and quote it to him anyway. I've spent times out just walking and praying where all I said over and over again is, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You know, here's what happens to us. You know, it's coming toward Christmas time, and, and, and what happens to us is we, we think sometimes that God is Santa Claus. We really do. And here's what I mean by that. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. And then watch this. If you're on the naughty list, you're toast. You'll get nothing. Anybody here in this room ever been, ever failed, ever sinned? And anybody that just refused to raise their hand is a stinking liar. Marco. Real slow there. Now, you know, that's not God. Now, part of the reason we see God that way is because some of us see our, our own faults and failures so clearly that it blinds us to the grace and mercy and patience of a loving God. You see, here's what happens. We see ourselves and judge ourselves and would, would deal with ourselves the way we think. But that's not the way God does. If God really did with us the way we think we should be, I mean, I failed, so I'm done. But God didn't say that. A just man falls seven times and rises up again. Well, God must let you rise up again. God must want you to rise up again. You see, if Santa is evaluating your whole year and you come up with more naughty than nice, you lose, 
that's our concept of God, then we're probably going to lose because I'm not sure any of us really do so much good. Well, like the little girl I went to, the, went to Christ yesterday, you know, one of the first things she said, she said, I really don't sin much. Something to that effect, right, Joey? I really don't sin much. Now, fortunately, I looked at her and said, well, you know, there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned. And, you know, it doesn't say sin much. It means if you did one time. So we all come short of what God wants us to be. But the truth is, I think probably she just doesn't know how much she sins. Truth is, the best of us, I'm not sure we really know how much we fail to be, live up to what God would want us to do. I mean, God's standard and our standard, even though we've got it written here, I, I still think we don't fully comprehend where his standard of holiness really is. So no matter how hard we try, we're coming way short, y'all. We really are. So why would God pay any attention to us at all? Because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy. Because of his, as I say so often, this is his incredible patience with us. He has been more than patient with America. More than patient with us as Christians. And so we can't see God as Santa Claus. Here's how we need to see God. We need to see God through 1 John 1, 9. Because it's still there and it's still in the book. If we confess our sin, he, he, watch this, he is faithful and just uh, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says, you know why I'm going to cleanse your unrighteousness? Because I'm faithful. Because I'm just. Not because you're faithful and just. I, and look, if you just come to me and admit that you're a failure, if you come to admit to me that you've sinned, he said, because of my faithfulness and because of my justice, I will cleanse you. Fear breeds doubt. As fear becomes more powerful, doubt grows exponentially. And we, we cannot pray in fear and doubt because fear continues to breed more doubt. Doubt grows exponentially as fear grows in us. And can I tell you, we live in fear when we doubt God loves us enough to answer our prayers. And we can't live that way. We've got to eradicate fear. We've got to understand 2 Timothy 1.7 lets us know that fear is not from God. If you have fear and you say, well, I'm not, I'm not really afraid. Yes, you are. You're afraid God won't answer you. What God wants you to know is his omnipotent power, his perfect love, the controlled, stable mind, the right thinking mind. Because John says, uh, 1 John 4, 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because, watch this, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear hath torment. God says, you, when you're tormented, watch this, you're in double-mindedness. Torment is confusion. Fear brings torment of mind, for there is a part of you that wants to believe God cares, hears an answer, but is conflicted with fear, which says it will not happen for me. I want to read just an example of, of a double-mindedness double in Scripture. James chapter 3, verse 8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith, bless we God. 
even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. That's double-mindedness. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. God said, look, the, the world out there, his creation's not double-minded. He's asking for his people not to be double-minded. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his work with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter, envying, and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom, that, that wisdom of, of, of bitterness and lying and envying, that wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly and sensual and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. Look at this now. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Do you know what fear brings? Fear brings confusion. Fear brings double-mindedness. You know what double-mindedness? Double-mindedness is confusion. And if we, look, you got to understand, we've got to eradicate double-mindedness from us. Because the more we allow double-mindedness inside of us, the more confusion that has come inside of us. And God says with confusion comes every evil work. This is why we, as it says, you know, we'll serve God and bless God and curse men. This is why we desire so much, come to church and, and be in church and grow in the Lord and, and we want it so badly and then we walk out the doors and enter into things that are destructive to our lives. Why would we do that? Because we're just basically evil? No. No, we're struggling in our minds. We're struggling who to follow. We're struggling who to trust. And God says, that's why. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally and upbraid not. He said, I'll give you the understanding. I'll give you the wisdom to know where to go and what to do. And he said, I'll give you the strength. Here's how I'll help you overcome the trials of your life. You got to rule over them. How do you rule over them? You rule over them and and, and calm delight. You rule over them in cheerful, cheerful endurance. You rule over them by controlling your spirit so that you can be yielded to God's spirit. It's easy for us to speak of God then turn our back on others according to the scripture. It's so easy for us to be kind and good and turn on a dime and spew anger and hatred in a moment when we live in confusion. God says we need his wisdom. His wisdom is peaceable and gentle, easy to get along with, merciful. Fear leads to double-mindedness, and double-mindedness leads to confusion, and confusion leads to every evil work. So what do we do in these struggles? I'm going to challenge you. Search the Bible for promises. And now, 2 Timothy 1, 7, I, I really believe is in, in, a, in a great sense of promise. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You know what? If I refuse the fear, you know what's coming? Power and love and a sound mind. 
if I refuse the double-mindedness, a sound mind, controlled mind. That's what it, God says, keep control of your mind. You know how we do it? His perfect love. How we do it? His, his omnipotent power. God says, through my power and my love, you can control your mind. Don't feel like, even some of you right now, you think, okay, look, I, I just can't win this battle in my head. Please listen to me. God's power is omnipotent, all-powerful. That means through his power, we can win any battle. God's love is perfect love, and God's already said that his perfect love will cast out fear. So if we really believe in his perfect love, it will cast out the fear. It'll push it out. It'll drive it away. And when the fear leaves, the confusion leaves. When the confusion leaves and the double-mindedness is gone, listen, the evil work that goes on in our life is gone also. So if we, we, we've got to take control, and that's where we began this whole thing and where I'll, I'll end it is this. We must rule over it or it will rule over you. And that means every moment that it tries to come in your head, every moment that it tries to attack your mind, every moment that even in sitting in this auditorium, and that's why I pray God build a hedge of protection because a, a Satan will send every demonic influence he can even into this building. And watch this, just like the parable, when the seed is sown, he wants to snatch it away. Seed is sown, he wants to... Steal it away before you can believe it. But I'm telling you right now, you need to fall on your face today and say, God, cleanse my mind. I'm going to trust you. I know you love me. Your love is a perfect love. That love's got to drive it from my heart. I know that your power is omnipotent. You're powerful enough to do this. God, I turn my heart, my life, my mind over to you. And when old Satan tries to come back again, you drive him right back out again. Father, I pray that you bless, Lord. I pray that you, this might make sense to somebody, Lord.